Thank you, Pastor Dusty. Um, we appreciate him recording that offering message to us. And uh, for those of you that are keeping up with it, today was supposed to be Brother Dusty's uh, last message. And uh, while the transition has taken place, we're uh, rescheduling that message, we promise. Uh, we make sure, uh, we're making sure that we're going to make that a, a big deal. And uh, we look forward to uh, closing that chapter with our, our pastor. And uh, we are rescheduling that message. But at the same time, uh, I've asked Brother Dusty if he would uh, stay visible, if he would, if he would stay on, because uh, we, we need, in fact, I, I think I do, I think our church does, uh, needs his visible presence right now. Uh, during this di- this time, I know it's helpful, and so our church needs his ministry. And the truth is, is that he uh, continues to want to serve, and so he's going to serve. You've heard him say that from his own mouth, and so uh, we appreciate that so much from Brother Dusty and Miss Patsy, and uh, we're grateful to to have them continue to serve here at Lindsey Lane. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Colossians four wherever you are. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for tuning in live stream, and uh, we're we're thankful to God that we have the ability to do that. And so we're going to be looking at Colossians 4. We're going to be talking about community today. Here's what we've learned so far. In the first week, Heath taught us that Christ is supreme over creation. He's supreme over the church. He's supreme over every believer. Uh, we have also, Pastor Allen taught us that Christ is the fulfillment of life because he is God. And commitment to God, commitment to Christ is the confirmation of real salvation. Over the past couple of weeks, when I've been listening uh, to our pastor speak, when I've been uh, listening to the word of God just like you have, one thing that I begin to notice within Colossians 2 and Colossians 3 is that there's a you message in Colossians. It seems like Paul, for a part of this book, is speaking directly to one person, like he's speaking to the individual identity of every believer. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. Chapter 2, verse 10, he says, you are complete with your union with Christ. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. There's a you version here. There's a you message in the scripture because God is speaking to our identity. He's speaking to who we are, not who we feel like we are, but who we are. And, and just as, the, as a pre-message to the message, I would encourage all of us that are listening today to start listening to sources with authority rather than listening to sources without authority. If God has saved you, then let God define you. The voices in the world, the voices in culture, just like here and this time in the biblical time, is speaking just like it does today. It speaks loud, it speaks heavy, it speaks all the time, but it has no authority. The voice of the world, the voice of the culture has no authority. Another voice that speaks loud to us is the voice of our feelings. Our feelings speak loud. Sometimes they speak loud momentarily, but our feelings have no authority. In fact, the scripture says to guard your heart because it affects everything that you do. But Almighty God has all authority. Jesus said, I've been given all authority. And so the voice of God is not about the volume of his voice, but about the longevity of his voice. The word of God will not drop. It will stand forever. And so if you have been saved by God, let God tell you who you are. Let God define how you feel. Let God define your identity. Listen to the scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. You died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Regardless of how you feel, 
regardless of what the talking heads says that you should be like or act like or look like, when you've turned from yourself and you've turned to God and you've been forgiven of your sin and your identity is in Christ, your identity is inseparable from God now and forever. And that ought to make you feel good this morning. That'd be the part in here where I'd ask everybody to say amen because it's, it's good to know that my identity, no matter how I feel about myself, no matter what's been said to me, my identity is inseparable from God. So there's a you message in Colossians. And if you trusted God to save you, let God define you. But as you turn from chapter three or turn to chapter two to chapter three, the last half of that chapter teaches us that God is transitioning us from a you message to an us message. He talks to talks to you, the individual for a little bit. And now he's going to talk about us in chapter three, verse 11. The Bible says in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us, in all of us. So it was a you message, and now it's an us message. Now, us doesn't mean everybody that lives. Us means everybody that believes. And keep in mind, Paul's writing to a church here. And so it speaks to the, the us message. Us is a new community of spiritual misfits that used to be all about themselves, only about their glory and their purpose and the goodness that they can come up with. But now us refers to a body of believers that's looking for the glory of God and the good of others. Us reminds me that I'm not the only game in town. Us reminds me that I have more to be responsible for than just myself. Us also unifies us. And that we are purposed together and that we don't have to grieve alone. We don't have to move alone. We don't have to minister alone. We don't have to walk alone. I've said it before. I've said it this week that if you're a Christian, you're not to be an island. There are no undercover Christians. You're not supposed to do your faith alone. You're not purposed to be a loner. If you are in Christ, you are in us and you're with us. If you turn to Colossians chapter four, Paul's just finished a chapter Chapter 3, obviously, and he's finished it on the new life of us under the authority of Christ. He moves from the local church to specific relationships at the end of chapter 3. And then we get to Colossians chapter 4 to continue this us message. And Paul has just finished this. And as we mentioned, Paul writes this letter to the Colossian church from prison, right? We've mentioned that in, in the last couple of weeks. Now, it's debated as to the type of prison that Paul was writing from and writing these letters from. From the text, Paul speaks of suffering. He speaks of chains. He speaks of struggling. So there's obviously some unfavorable conditions. There's some uh, restrictions in place. But his imprisonment may not have been for stone walls and a ceiling. Paul's imprisonment actually, according to most sources, may have been more relative to the here and now than you think. Because most, most sources would recommend that Paul is likely in imprisonment by house arrest. Some of you are saying amen, like you understand what's going on or you identify with that. But once again, what we're not saying, and he said this two weeks ago, what we're not saying is quarantine during this time is the same as being under Roman authority and house arrest. Because I'm pretty sure that Paul didn't have access to Netflix or Disney Plus. He didn't have access to Taco Bell drive through And so we're thankful for all those things. But what we are saying here is that there's an extreme limitation in the scripture that ministry happens from that we can identify with. And with this in mind, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The scripture says, read with me, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 
Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. And and pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Verse 5, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Lord, I just pray, God, for the rest of our time as we speak with two principles of truth. Father, that each one of us saying these things and all of us listening to your word. God, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 2 says, to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. That's one of the first verses of scripture I ever memorized when I was a teenager. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. It's a spiritual discipline. But when you think about what he's saying, Paul basically is saying, don't be a space cadet when you pray. Don't let your mind wander and it goes in and out and you're thinking about entertainment and you're thinking about prayer. You're thinking about your schedule and you're thinking about prayer and you're thinking about God. Don't let your mind wander when you pray, but be focused, be intentional and pray with gratitude. We ask God for things all the time, but when he grants those requests, do we ever tell him thank you? And this is what Paul is saying. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And then we get to verse three and verse four, which we've read. And Paul says this. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan concerning Christ. He says, that's why I'm here in chains and pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. Let me revisit this once more. Paul is property of the Roman state. And while he's here under house arrest, he is under the restriction of some kind of prison guards. And according to his own pen, he's in chains. He's enclosed. He's in a limited situation. But he's asking prayers from house arrest for us. Us. Now, how is that even possible? He's communicating from prison. And so if you read, if you keep reading in verses 7 through 14, somehow Paul has built an executive leadership team to start a movement from a house arrest position in prison. And somehow it's because God made a way because God's church don't stop. The somehow is because God made a way for community even when Paul was under house arrest because the purposes of God do not stop when the world restricts. Now, hear me when I say this from the scripture. God parted a body of water for a nation to cross. God shut the lion's mouth in front of Daniel. God shook down prison walls and made a way for Paul and Silas to later walk away from prison. So I'm pretty sure he's going to take care of his church during this time. God is going to take care of the things that we fret about. Our God said in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20, I will make a river out of the dry wasteland. So again, it's safe to say that God is working in our hearts for community because he's going to make a way for community. In verses 7 through 14, Paul has mentioned eight men, eight members of his executive team operating out of that house arrest. And and these are men with final instructions given by Paul for them to go to the church or pray for the church. And this is within his salutations. And these eight men are working together. They are ministering to a church that Paul would never even go to. They are experiencing church amongst themselves even as they are working out of Paul's home to and from. And these eight men, while working with Paul to build a church, Paul doesn't describe them in business terms. Paul doesn't call these eight men, if you read verses 7 through 14, he's not calling these eight men, one, the director of communication, and the next one, the assistant to the regional manager. 
That's, that's not what Paul is calling them. He's speaking to them in brotherly terms, speaking of them in family terms. Beloved brother, he says of one. Faithful helper who serves with me, he says of another. Fellow prisoner, he says of another. Somebody that's going through the same things that he's going through. Somebody that's a co-worker that's working on the same things that he's working on. I want you to think about that show that says, this is us. I want you to forget that crazy, selfish ambition drama, this is us. This is us. This is the brotherly love, family fellowship on the grind for the same God and the same glory and the same good. This is what the church is about. A people united by their God that are different from one another, but that love each other by God's command because they trust his feeling more than their own. A people with different backgrounds, a people with different interests, a people who gather, group and move with one purpose and one spirit towards an assignment given to them by one that's greater than themselves. This is who the church is. And this is who the church is to be right now, not when we get out of this. And eight men working together. Paul mentions in verse 11, and what a comfort they've been. And what a comfort they've been. Did you hear that? Now, now you may think, as, as we take a look in the scripture, Paul is speaking of these men that are working in and out with him, that they've been an encouragement to him, that they've been a comfort in his life. Now, you may not think, I don't need that comfort. I've got my family around me. All my family's here. I've got my friends with me, and I don't need that comfort. But that's good for you, but what about somebody else in need? What about your neighbor? What about somebody at church that don't have all the things that you have? If you have plenty of friends and you've got family all around you, that doesn't mean that you've got what you need. That means you have a responsibility to give what you have to somebody else. I want to give you an illustration of this. We were in a small group at, at Lindsay Lane East some time ago, probably within the last two years. In this small group, there's a couple in that group that we are praying over. The husband's actually in the hospital the wife is having a difficult time making sure that she takes care of their child and making their way back and forth to the hospital. And so on a Wednesday night, we're meeting in a small group, and I got my phone out, and I said, you know what, guys, we're all just going to call this person right now. We're going to call her. We're going to encourage her by praying for her. And so we were there. We put it on speakerphone. Our entire group was around the phone. I called her. She answered the phone. I said, hey, I said, we are here tonight at the group that you normally attend. And we just want to let you know that we're praying for you. We're going to pray for you right now. And she said, that's great. And I appreciate your prayers. And also, I'm broken down on the side of the road. I can't believe you called at this very moment. It was almost like I had set it up <laughs> to not, in a not real way to be real. But she called, or we called her and she said, thank you for the prayers. I'm broken down. <clears throat> and in a moment's notice, two of our ladies, one being my wife, uh, and another lady from our group, they got up out of their chairs, they got in a car, and they drove and went to get her, picked her up. They got her to and from where she needed to go to take care of her child, to take care of her mother. And not only that, but they arranged for a, a godly servant within the church to take care of her car and get it back up and running. Those things happen when you group God's way. Those things happen when you're a part of a group that God has ordained to take care of his people. Those things happen. So you can't wait on that to happen. You need to be a part of that, those things now. And if God is making a way for community in Acts chapter 2 or in, in the first part of Acts, when, when God has made a way for community to happen out of a body of believers, if he is endorsing that in his word, then that means he's going to make a way for it in our life. And in one way or another, Paul speaks well of all of these. Don't mention that too. Paul speaks well of every single one of these executive team members that he is sending out. 
You don't see where he says of one, Mark plans to visit sometime soon, and Mark's the worst, man. Like, don't say it to his face, but he's terrible. Like, Paul doesn't say that about any of those guys. In fact, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, he pins under the inspiration of God, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Did you see that part in the scripture that says make allowance for each other's faults? We probably need that more now than we ever have. There have been decisions that have been made and decisions that are being made now about what we are to do in a time that we've never experienced before in our life. And when decisions are made, before we jump to criticism, which is very, very easy right now, instead of jumping to criticism, why don't we trust first and show grace to those that are under pressure? making these decisions. If I could speak a word to our United States government, stop bickering amongst each other and get something done. Amen? Stop bickering amongst each other and show grace and try to be a solution to the problem. That wasn't in my notes, so we'll see where that lands. If your response is, if your response is, amen, and I hear you, and as soon as we get back, we'll be a part of community. No, there's ways to do that now. Because if you're thinking as soon as we get back, when we get back, that's when that schedule hits again. You need to decide before the opportunity is is given to you. You need to decide now because the scripture teaches us that even in prison, there is community. Even in prison, there's community. So he's going to come up later and he's going to tell you how to be a part of that community. Even if you are away from home or even if you are away from your normal daily routine and you are at home. The second point is even in prison, there is purpose. Even in prison, there is purpose. Now, I want you to watch this in verse 3. Verse 3 will change the game. Verse 3 says, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Did you see what he prayed for in verse 3? Did you see what the Apostle Paul from house arrest has written to another church to pray about? He's not praying to get out. He's He's not praying for his freedom. That's not what he's praying for. He's praying for opportunities to speak right where he is. That's what the scripture says. He says, he's, he, I pray, pray for us, right? That God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That mysterious plan, you can read a bunch of different commentaries and they'll take you into different avenues as to why this is the mysterious plan of God. On the base level, it's mysterious because God is holy and he cares so much for a sinful, selfish world. It's mysterious why God would go to great lengths and give of himself to make a way for us to experience heaven and miss hell. It's mysterious, but that is who God is. And so Paul is saying, hey, instead of forming an army and getting us out of here, and instead of of praying that, that God would provide for our every need, he's praying that God would give them opportunities to proclaim the message of Christ, the most important message in the world. So he, again, is not praying for a release. He's praying for the most of every opportunity that can be made we cannot forget the urgency that we feel now 
We don't need to forget that. We don't need to forget what we feel now. We don't need to forget the fresh reminder of the brevity of life when this all blows over. But shouldn't this, this shouldn't lead to one-day moments. It shouldn't lead to times in the future where we are, we are hoping that, that God would give us an opportunity. Let me find my place. If I'm right, I'm betting that many of us, including myself, are not praying this prayer. I'm betting that many of us are, are praying prayers for God sheltering, but not for God sending. If I'm right, and I, I'm one of you, and so we've been praying the same thing. We've been praying, God, don't let us get this. But as God's been working on our heart, we've also been praying, but God, use us. And even with that, I would say that right now, a lot of us are thinking, well, this is good for God because this is the time when people are finally beginning to look up. Can I also add that it also may be time, the time where God is finally getting his church to wake up, that this is the time where the church has got to realize how, how brief life is and how all of this is very real and that we are to be on the grind for the gospel until God calls us home. Maybe the reason Paul didn't pray for his release is because it was effective. Maybe the reason Paul didn't pray to get out is because the church was finally taking the call to take the gospel everywhere. We've all been, again, talking about how people are beginning to, to notice and beginning to ask questions. But he's speaking to the church. Notice in verse 5 what he says to the believers in verse 5. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Do you, do you realize that Paul is telling them what he to do because he cannot do that himself? Live wisely amongst folks because I can't get out of here. So you need to be careful about how you live before people. And with that scripture that says, live wisely among those who are not a believer and make the most of every opportunity, don't take that part, make the most of every opportunity, and cut it out and put it on some type of image and put it on Facebook and say that this is the time to clean out your garage or spend time with your family. Because that's not what Paul's talking about. Those all have a good, well place. And we are, we should do those things right now as good stewards of our home and good stewards of our family. But in the context that Paul is talking about, he's not talking about hanging out. He's talking about getting out. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about making sure that the good news of God's love for people goes out. Again, we are to make the most of every opportunity that we have. We don't need to forget about how we feel now, the urgency that we experience now. But this shouldn't lead to one day moments. Paul never stopped living for the cause of Christ, even when he was limited, because ministry and community only stop when God says it stops. So our prayer should be that God protects you. Absolutely, it should be. We need to be praying right now, probably more than ever as the next two weeks are coming upon us. We need to be praying that, that God would help and God would heal and God would provide medicine and God would provide ways for all this to be over. But we also need to couple that with God use your church for your glory, and for the good of people. The focus of, of their group was not the plight of their fellowship. They weren't talking about how difficult it was. They were all assigned what they were going to do and how they were going to do it. Verse 3, Paul even said, this is why I'm in chains. The, the prison was his opportunity. He was under house arrest, yes, but he wasn't in solitary confinement. Here's what that means. Wherever there is people, there is purpose. If you can get to people, you can get to purpose. And right now, more than any other time in history, we have a way to do that. In fact, I'm doing it right now. We're sending this word out. People are watching live stream over our website. 
You're able to share it. You're able to share a message. You can send a text message. You can make a phone call. You can get on all kinds of social media. You can send a note in the mail. It's still running. And, and so this is the time if there's somebody on your heart to, to begin to think about them, yes, but also begin to pray about them and reach to them. And if we'll allow God to be part of this, as the scripture is, is teaching us, pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak. Did you see that? That God will give us many opportunities to speak. This takes the pressure off us when we pray for God to speak through us. Because we don't have to create opportunities. We'll pray and let the Holy Spirit of God lead us into opportunities where we can season our speech, the scripture says, with salt. That we've prepared to share the gospel. We've studied the word of God. And when it comes time to talk about God, we don't have to have this dumb look on our face like we don't know what we believe in. But we're able to bring a 10 second sermon to someone that may need it. For Paul, his circumstance never prevented his purpose. We have more ways now to reach the ends of the earth than we ever have before. Let me close with this. I read recently of a prisoner's turnaround. He was in prison for some bad decisions he had made all his life. He got in prison and things actually got worse because he made more decisions in prison that were bad. And he said he was out walking the track one day at the prison. He's walking the track outside and as he's walking, he begins to be broken under the Holy Spirit conviction of God. And he falls to his knees and he remembers the God that his father and his mother had so faithfully taught him about. And right there and then on that prison track on his knees, he calls on God to save him. And he cries out for God to forgive him and make him new. And God does exactly that, what he promises in his word, what he promised to the prisoner. The same thing he promised for you, that when you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And he did that. It was very simple and very serious. And then he began to talk about how he was growing in Christ. And while he was still in prison, he was growing. And this is what he said. He said, I was trusting God to put me in a position to serve him when I got out. And he said, God spoke to his heart and said, but what are you doing now? You have kingdom work to do for me in prison. The new man of God began to form prayer circles. He started Bible studies. He even started a fundraiser for neighborhood kids nearby the prison before they started back to school. In closing, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, a lot of people wake up and check off the day on the calendar as another day gets closer to them getting out. But your release starts before you're released. Maybe in all of this, God is revealing what is missing in your life. For some of you, it could be that you've been searching all your life for God's plan for you, but you don't know him. And God's made a way for you to be right with him by trusting in him and his way of, of making you right with himself, which has never been through you, but it's been through the giving of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection that we'll celebrate next week at Easter. God has made a way for you to be right with him. But also, maybe it's that, that you are missing community. And you have that intention of getting back in the community, but you need to do it right now. You need a sense of not only where someone can pour into you, but how you can pour into somebody else. And finally, maybe that you're missing purpose. And all of this has brought full circle the attention that God has something for us to do while we're here. And you can be a part of it now and begin to pray now about how you can work for his glory and the good of the people around you before all these things start letting go and we get back to normal. Let me pray for us. Lord, as Heath comes to tell us about next steps, we thank you for your word. 
God, that tells us that you have, have something for us to do. God, that we are praying, Lord, for the ability, the, the clarity of message. God, that our utterances would be an open door to that. God, that we could speak the truth with clarity of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for how you have always taken care of us. God, for how you make a way in the desert land. Lord, for how you have freed us from prisons of ourselves. And God, I pray, Lord, for each one that's listening today, that if they need to take the next steps to community, that it's time to make a decision. Lord, that they need to serve you. And God, that they are purposed for your glory and not their own agenda for the rest of their life. Oh, Lord, if there's one or a few or many that finally just need to turn from themselves and turn to you, because when they think about eternal life, they're not sure if they have it or not. And God, we know that you promise it, and that is within your son. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.